the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if you take your Bibles, turn along with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Boy, isn't it beautiful out? Maybe we'll get snowed in together. I'll make waffles. Colossians chapter 1. Well, prayer is an amazing privilege that the Lord gives to each of his saints. The promise is that God works through our prayers. That our prayers are heard by him and that they make a real difference in our lives and in the lives of those we pray for. And I'm so grateful that so many of you pray for me. I know that without your prayers, my own growth and dependence upon the Lord and blessing from the Lord would be far less than what they are. And I'm so thankful for your prayers on my behalf. And sometimes I get asked the question, Pastor, how can I be praying for you? What a wonderful and loving question. It's a great question. But it's one I don't always know how to answer. Sometimes there are situations I'm going through or trying to help with that I can't fully share. Sometimes there are situations where I'm not even sure what to pray for. (laughs) Feel that way sometimes, do you? much less how to tell someone else how to pray for this situation. I know that sometimes the things I think I need prayer for or that I think I need in my life and want to pray about aren't actually the things I need to be praying for. What we often think is our greatest need in prayer Those things often aren't our greatest needs. We often think our greatest needs are for things like a better job or a healed relationship or for a clear direction or for the relief from a trial. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with praying for a better job or a healed relationship or anything like that. God wants us to bring our every need before him our requests, no matter how small and insignificant even. I remember as when I was a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for a year. It was short, but it was intense. <laughs> and kids would, you know, we'd do a prayer time and invite prayer requests. And inevitably there was a pet request, right? I don't mean like their favorite request and they would request it all the time. I mean, literally they would pray for their pet. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, if, if you're into that kind of thing. The Lord wants us to bring the concerns of our hearts before Him. He cares about us. He cares about our needs. He cares about our pets. Because we care about our pets. So you can bring all those things, but oftentimes the things we're praying for aren't the area of our greatest need. And that's why I love our passage this morning in Colossians 1. Because it lays out for us a series of prayers that are always appropriate to pray for. And they always get to the heart of the area of our greatest need. Whether we realize it or not. We have here in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, a series of prayers, prayer requests, that in fact get to the heart of our greatest need. So if you ever wonder how you can pray for me, this is it. And now I know that this is the best way that I can pray for you. And this should be our collective prayer for our church as a whole and for one another 
as individuals. So let me read for us Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, this epic prayer of the Apostle Paul really cannot be improved upon. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Paul writes, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for leaving us this treasure of a a model prayer for one another. A prayer that gets to the very heart of our greatest need to grow in our knowledge of you, in our love for you, in our fruitfulness for you, in in our desire to please you in every respect. This is our greatest need. Lord, grant the prayer of our hearts as it becomes shaped and formed by this prayer. Make all of our other requests second-tier requests. Important matters to be sure, but somehow not really at the heart of our greatest need. Grant these things, Lord, that we might please you, that we might bear fruit in every circumstance. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this passage is one long sentence in Greek. Paul likes to write that way. And in this one long sentence, we're going to see together that it really is a model prayer for us. A model prayer that presents for us six excellent ways to pray for one another. I've made this very personal. Six excellent ways to pray for me. When you think of me and if you pray for me, this is how I want you to pray. This is what I'd love for you to pray for me about. And it's what we ought to be praying for one another. Husbands, this is how you ought to be praying for your wife. Wives, this is how you pray for your husband. Parents, this is how you pray for your children. Children, this is how you should pray for your parents. It's how we should pray for our friends. It's how we should pray for our enemies. Six excellent ways to pray for one another. First of all, first request, that I would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Look with me at verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul's prayer for them is motivated by the news he has received from Epaphras back in verse 7. Epaphras was a citizen of the town of Colossae, and he has come with a report from that infant church in Colossae. And as a result of hearing that, Paul is motivated to pray for them. Paul says he's been praying for them always since he heard of their faith in Christ Jesus and the love they have for all the saints, their faith, hope, and love has been so evident in this report, and he's just moved to pray on their behalf. Moved to pray for their continued growth and faithfulness in the Lord. 
especially in light of some of the spiritual dangers that they were facing. And you recall perhaps what the nature of that spiritual danger was. It was a false teaching that was beginning to take root among them. False teachers were in the local church there in Colossae and they were distorting and downplaying the sufficiency of the person and work of Jesus Christ. They were relegating the gospel to merely an entrance issue, an issue of instruction that's needed early on but that you can discard later for more deep and fundamental things. They were attacking the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross to really save us and, and, and sanctify us. And in place of centering their teaching on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, these false teachers were emphasizing the necessity of other things, of attaining spiritual knowledge that was not centered upon Jesus Christ. These false teachers were demanding the observation of certain Jewish rituals and customs like abstaining from certain foods or observing certain special high and holy days. They encouraged the worship of angels, angels that they believed had power over nature and therefore power over each person's lives in a special way. So there was a focus on angels at the expense of a focus upon Jesus Christ. There was an emphasis on an ascetic lifestyle of self-denial and man-made rules that the way to, the way to advance spiritually was by strict self-discipline. It was a teaching that espoused the idea that the only ones with the knowledge of the fullness of truth as taught by the false teachers could really understand and experience and attain to true spiritual maturity. And so it fostered an elitist spirituality of the haves and the have-nots, of those who were spiritually enlightened and those who were still spiritually darkened. In short, Paul says that their teaching was not according to Christ. He says that in chapter 2 and verse 8. And that this false teaching was a denial that Christ is all and in all. Chapter 3 and verse 11. And so Paul writes the book of Colossians to counter these false teachings and to strengthen the Colossian believers in their faith in Christ. So it's in light of this spiritual danger that Paul's first action step is the best action step. And that is to pray for them. To pray for their spiritual well-being, their spiritual strengthening. Paul wasn't there. He wasn't on scene to help them. Yes, he's writing a letter that will instruct them and guard them against some of these dangers, and yet that letter may not be received by them for weeks, maybe months. But what would take immediate effect would be his prayer on their behalf. He couldn't be there to guard them and help them and encourage their growth, but he could pray for them. And his prayer, the effect of his prayer, would be immediate. And so that's what he does. He prays for them. And in praying for them, he prays for their greatest need. No doubt they had many pressing needs. This group of believers in Colossae, as any group of believers, has many needs. No doubt they had pressing needs that were both physical and spiritual. We've said the city of Colossae was in the midst of a significant economic downturn. No doubt there were many financial needs, therefore. As in any body of believers, there would be significant health concerns. There would be marriages that needed mending or personal relationships that needed forgiveness and reconciliation. That would be true in any gathering of believers. There would always be needs. But this is not foremost on the Apostle Paul's mind. 
when he turns to the Lord in prayer for them. So what does Paul pray for on their behalf? That they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. This is the overarching prayer request that Paul makes on their behalf. That they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. All the other parts of Paul's flowing prayer here trace their source back to this one prayer request. All the other prayer requests are dependent on this heading, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Grammatically, logically, spiritually, all the other requests are based upon this heading, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. So what is it that Paul is praying for when he prays that these Colossian believers would be filled with the knowledge of God's will? What does it mean that this knowledge of God's will would fill them? Well, it means that it would, it would saturate their lives, their minds, their thinking. The knowledge of God's will would saturate their lives. That the knowledge of God's will would so fill their hearts and minds that it would change the way they looked at things. It would change the way they lived. It would change their values. It would change them from the inside out. In short, Paul is praying that the knowledge of God's will would control them, would compel them, would conform them. That knowing God and His will would be the controlling principle of their lives. That is their greatest need. That is our greatest need today. And it's the greatest thing we can be praying about in our own lives and in the lives of others. Now what is the knowledge of God's will that Paul is praying would fill them? We tend to think of God's will as being those big things that affect the course of our life. We pray, Lord, I, uh, your will be done. Show me your will, Lord. What is it you want me to do? What direction do you want me to go in? We want to know God's will. What is God's will for my life? We want to know God's will when it comes to who we should marry or should we marry at all. We want to know God's will when it comes to what course of study we should pursue or what job to take or where to live or what church to join or what house to buy or whatever. And it's good and wise to want to know and to seek God's will in those important decisions. But this is not what Paul is talking about when he, when he prays for the Colossians to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Paul is praying, rather, that they would be filled with the knowledge of who God truly is and what it is that he wants from us. That they would be filled with the knowledge of who God truly is, of what God is doing in the world, and what he wants us to do in service to him. He is praying, therefore, that they would, in essence, have a biblical, God-centered worldview that informs their thinking, their decision-making, their worship, and their everyday living. He wants them to be filled with God's truth, with God's revelation of himself, with God's will. A knowledge of God's will. And as we'll see in the coming weeks, when we study verses 15 through 23, he wants them to be filled supremely with the knowledge of God as it relates to his supreme revelation of himself in his son, Jesus Christ. He wants them to be filled with the knowledge of Jesus 
In short, Paul is, saying, is praying that they would be biblical Christians. Christ-centered believers. Filled with and governed by the truth of God's revelation of himself, especially and supremely God's revelation of himself to us in his son Jesus. Now Paul further expands on the nature of this prayer for them by adding that he prays that their knowledge of God and his will would be accompanied by spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom here is having, having knowledge and living in light of that knowledge. You can know a lot of things and live as though those things weren't true, right? It's possible to possess some knowledge about God and live in a very godless way. People do it all the time. But wisdom is having that knowledge and then living your life in light of what you Profess to be true. He wants them to live in wisdom and understanding. Understanding is the ability to categorize what has been learned and then to discern between the false and the true. So it's the process of assimilating what you believe to be true into your life. Categorizing it. Understanding how one truth relates to another and how they all relate together. And this wisdom and this understanding are modified by the words all spiritual. All means that it's complete or whole, extending to every area and aspect of life. And spiritual means that this wisdom and understanding is of a truly spiritual nature as opposed to being mere human wisdom or sheer intellectual understanding. It is a wisdom and understanding that is given by the Holy Spirit and guided and informed by the Holy Spirit. It is spiritual. Paul is praying here that their knowledge would not be limited to an awareness of a set of facts that they can sort of just regurgitate or check boxes off of some doctrinal statement, but that this knowledge would translate into truly wise and discerning thinking and living. These three words, knowledge and wisdom and understanding, have a significant Old Testament backdrop. The Old Testament referred to Skilled craftsmen who would employ their artistic knowledge and abilities in the building of the tabernacle or the temple and its furnishings. You find these same three words put together in the midst of these craftsmen who were knowledgeable and who were wise and who had understanding in their skill and their craft. In Exodus 31.3, Exodus 33.31, 1 Kings 7.14, and Isaiah 11.2. Paul seems to have this in mind as he prays for these believers, this rich Old Testament background. As he prays for them to live lives of skill and spiritual craftsmanship, creating beauty and good works with their lives. But to do that, To create beauty and good works with your life, you've got to have knowledge and wisdom and understanding of God's will. Of who God is, what he's doing in the world, and what he wants from us. Reminds me of what Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, that cousin epistle of the book of Colossians, he says, we are God's workmanship, his poema, his, his artistic creation. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. There is nothing greater that we can be praying for for one another than this. 
that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and do so with spiritual wisdom and understanding. And here's a little bonus. When you are filled with the knowledge of God's will, as it's centered upon Jesus Christ, the answer to the questions of what career you should choose or who you should marry or where you should live become less important in one sense. Now, they're still important to you, to me, yes, but they're less important because the priority issue of importance has already been set. You're already seeking the Lord. You're seeking to grow and increase in your knowledge of His will, of who He is, of what He wants for us. If you're filled with and governed by the knowledge of God's truth and God's will, then the other decisions of your life will be far less consequential and far less difficult to make. Jesus essentially said the same thing in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek to know God. Seek him first. His purposes his desires, and all the rest will take care of itself. He'll see to it. So that's the first prayer request. That's the overarching one. And all the other prayer requests that I'm going to share flow out of that one. All right, that, let's see the second prayer request, the way that you can be praying for me. That I would walk worthy of the Lord. Verse 10, that we all would walk worthy of the Lord. This is, the, this is really the goal or the purpose of why Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that they would walk worthy of the Lord and please Him in all respects. Paul understands that the key to our worthy walk and to pleasing the Lord in all respects is rooted and grounded in our being filled with the knowledge of God and His will. Paul's prayer is that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk here is a metaphor for living life, right? That the way you live your life, the way you conduct yourself, the way you carry yourself, throughout this world that it be, would be worthy of the Lord. It's what we value. It's what we think. It's how we live and act. And he's praying that our lives would be lived in such a way that it would be worthy of the Lord. What does that mean? Does Paul mean here that we should be trying to live lives that earn the Lord's favor? Could we do that? Three of you are correct. We cannot do that. We can never earn the Lord's favor. Our sins are too many and too great in His sight. But He is gracious and good and kind and forgiving and merciful. We can't ever get to the point and say, look at me, Lord, I'm worthy. I'm worthy of your blessing and love. Look at the worthy life I'm living, Lord. No, that's not what Paul is getting at here. Walking worthily, worthily means living in a way that is consistent with, in keeping with, the faith in Jesus that we profess to have. It means living out what we say we believe. Walking consistent with faith in Jesus. Manifesting the desire to please Him in all respects. That's what it means there. That's what meant, is meant by the phrase pleasing Him in all respects. It means operating from the desire 
to please the Lord in every area of our lives. We just want to be pleasing to him. Lord, I just want to do what you want me to do. I just want to be pleasing and honoring to you, Lord. I want you to have the glory. That's the attitude. That's the mindset. That's what Paul is praying for these Colossian believers. This worthy walk is not looking at some absolute perfection of our lives, but is rather focused on the overall direction of our lives. None of us live worthily. None of us have earned a place in God's favor. That only comes to us as a gift by God's grace. None of us will live perfect, holy lives during our lifetime. We'll continue to struggle with sin and disobedience and rebellion. But by God's grace, we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and manifest this desire to please Him with our lives. But it flows out and is subservient to this growing in knowledge of the Lord's will. Of God and who he is and what he wants from us with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. All right, the third prayer request. Third way you can pray for me. That I would bear fruit in every good work. That we all, as Christians, would bear fruit in every good work. Walking worthy of the Lord and pleasing Him in all respects is further described by Paul through a series of four participles, okay? He says he wants to, he's praying for them that they would bear fruit, that they would increase in knowledge, that they would be strengthened, and that they would give thanks. And that makes up the final four points of my message this morning and the final four prayer requests that Paul makes. This first one here is that we would bear fruit in every good work. This is what the worthy walk looks like. This is what it means to walk worthily and to to desire to please the Lord in every situation. That we would bear fruit in every good work. Jesus said that Christians would be known by their fruits, right? Matthew 7, 16 Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. In that context, he says, you'll know the false teachers by the fruit that they produce. Likewise, you'll know disciples by the fruit that they produce. John 15, 8, my father is glorified by this. Jesus says that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The key to fruit bearing, we as the branches, is to be connected to the vine, and Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. This fruit bearing that Paul is praying for in their lives begins internally with the fruit producing work of the Holy Spirit who resides within each one of us as Christians. Which is very different from the kind of fruit that our flesh naturally produces on its own. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. I want you to see that. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So you just turn to the left a few pages, 10 or so probably. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 18. Galatians 5.18, Paul says there, If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, okay, now this is the fruit of the flesh, all right? The fruit that our flesh produces is immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live a life producing the fruit of the flesh 
as the direction of their life, they're on the outside. They don't inherit the kingdom. In contrast to that is those who are filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, and produce the fruit of the Spirit, which comes in Galatians 5.22. In contrast to that, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul is praying that the fruit of the Spirit would produce a bumper crop in their lives. That they would be filled with love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That these things would mark out their lives. That the direction of their lives would be characterized by this kind of fruit bearing. The internal work of the Spirit shows itself in love and worship of God and in acts of selfless love and kindness to others in Jesus' name. There's no greater thing you can be praying for in my life than that. You want to know how to pray for me? Pray that fruit would be born in my life. The fruit of God and His work inside. Fourth prayer request. Second characteristic of the worthy walk. Am I confusing you with that? What does it mean to walk worthy? It means to produce fruit. Spiritual fruit. And it means that we would increase in the knowledge of God. Paul has already prayed about their knowledge in verse 9. We saw that he's praying that they would be filled or controlled by the knowledge of God's will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now he prays that they would increase in knowledge of God. The Christian's knowledge of God is never complete. We never arrive. Ta-da! I now know God. There's nothing more I can learn. If that is where you are, you don't know God. We can always increase in knowledge of God. Our learning is never finished. We never graduate from the school of knowing God. We never master it. There's always something else to learn, something else to glean, something else to apply. We can always learn more and we can always grow in our spiritual wisdom and understanding of what we already know. The ability to to apply those things we already know. In most of our cases, our knowledge far exceeds our living. Can I get an amen to that? And always grow. And Paul prays that their knowledge would not be static or stationary or stale, but that it would be ever growing and ever increasing. That we would be continually being filled to overflowing with the knowledge of God, that we would say, My cup overflows. There is more about God to know and to learn than we can ever possibly contain. Pray that I would increase in my knowledge of God. Knowledge accompanied by spiritual wisdom and true understanding. Fifth, that we would be strengthened with all power. Pray that I would be strengthened with all power. The worthy walk for which Paul prays also requires that we be strengthened. This is something God does for us. We can't strengthen ourselves. God has to strengthen us with his power. 
The implication here is that we are on our own, weak and in need of strengthening in order to walk worthy before him. And Paul prays here for this very strengthening, that they would be strengthened with all power, that they would have all the strength necessary for the worthy walk. And this power that Paul prays for is no ordinary power. Look at it. Rather, it is a power that is according to God's glorious might. Okay, this isn't some sad power source that sort of feeds a a flickering bulb that glows dimly. This is an awesome power source that flows from God himself. It is his glorious might. It is according to, in keeping with God's glorious might. Glorious might is a word that's only used of the Lord's power in Scripture. So the power that Paul prays would be operative in their life is the very same power in the same measure as the very power that God possesses in his glorious might. So the same power that spoke the worlds into existence, Paul prays would be active and operative in their lives. The same power that holds all things together. The same power that commanded the wind and the seas and the very power that healed the sick and gave sight to the blind and caused the lame to walk again. The very power that caused the dead to rise. This is the power that Paul prays would be active in their lives, strengthening them. So that they would walk in a manner worthy with a desire to please God in every respect. Notice that this power is active in them, not so that they could in turn perform great, powerful miracles, but so that their lives would be characterized by what? Steadfastness and patience. We tend to be drawn to and long for displays of great power that take the form of dramatic displays and exciting breakthroughs. Break the chains, right? But the power of God that Paul prays for has the result of a quiet endurance and a steady patience. That's not very glitzy might not seem very exciting, but it's exactly what we need. Steadfastness, hupomone, bearing up under. It's the ability to hold up under great pressure and strain. Stay steady. Patience, macrothumia. It's the ability to remain calm and peaceful while waiting for a desired outcome. Patience. Steadfastness and patience are the works of God wrought in us by his mighty power at work in us. And it's just what we need. The last way you can pray for me that I would joyfully give thanks to the Father. That's how we should pray for one another, that we would be marked out as a community of joyous thanksgiving. That's the last of the four marks of a worthy walk that Paul prays for, is this life of joyous thanksgiving. We of all people ought to be a joyously thankful people, should we not? You have reason for joy today. Things may be difficult in your life. There may be real trials that you're going through. But there is always reason for joy and joyous thanksgiving. 
just think of what God has done for us. Think of what problems he's already resolved. Our greatest need has already been met. And that's what he reminds us of in verses 12 through 14. Look what he says. The middle of verse 12. The Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God has qualified us. We weren't always qualified. Your resume was woefully lacking, as was mine. We were once spiritually alienated, spiritually disqualified. Our sin had disqualified us from sharing in the inheritance of the saints in light. But God did all that was necessary to qualify us. He provided everything that we lacked. And he did it through sending his own son to die for us. And so now as Christians, we have every reason for joyous thanksgiving. The very power of almighty God is at work within us, transforming us, helping us to walk worthy and to to please him in every respect. We have every reason for joyous thanksgiving. Look with me at what Paul later says about thanksgiving and the necessity of it in the life of the believer. Look at Colossians 3.15. Colossians 3.15 through 17. Paul says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be what? Thankful. But the word of Christ richly dwell within you. What does that sound like? That you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Let the peace of Christ richly dwell within you with all what? Wisdom. Spiritual wisdom and understanding with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual song, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, do all to please the Lord, to be pleasing in every respect. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Come, ye thankful people, come. Let us give thanks to the Lord continually, joyfully, for what he's done for us. He's met our greatest need. He's forever reconciled us to himself through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And he's promised to come and receive us to himself, that where he is, we may be also. Whatever trials and difficulties and hardships we face in this life, and they're real, and they're at times severe, but they pale in comparison with the glory that is awaiting us. One day the suffering is going to give way to glory. And God calls us to now, in anticipation of what is to come and what is already ours, to respond in joyful thanks. Cultivating a heart of gratitude and joy, even as we struggle. There are a lot of things you could pray for on my behalf. But there is nothing better that you could pray for than this. There's nothing better that we could pray for one another than this should be the prayer we pray for our church, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. should be the prayer that we pray for our children, the prayer that we pray for our spouse, the prayer that we pray for one another, 
that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects. Let's pray for that for one another right now. Lord God, thank you for not only calling us to prayer, but leaving us examples of prayer in Scripture. This prayer of the Apostle Paul can't be improved upon, for it's inspired by your Holy Spirit. It serves as a model for us to pray for one another, for our church, for our families, for each other. So God, we pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will, of who you are and what you're doing in the world and where all things are headed and what you want from us. Fill us with a knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, skillfully able to apply what we know to the circumstances, the varied circumstances of our lives so that we can walk in a manner worthy of you in keeping with the faith that we profess with a desire to please you in every sphere of life in all respects. Lord, we pray that as a result of this, we would bear fruit, fruit of the Spirit, fruit of your work in our lives, fruit that shows itself in worship and praise and thanksgiving and in service to others in Jesus' name. We pray, dear God, that you would cause us to be ever increasing in our knowledge of you, ever growing, ever seeking out to know you better, to live for you more faithfully. Lord, we know as we do this, we, and as we pray, that you will strengthen us with all power in accord with your great might and glorious might. Lord, may we joyfully give thanks to the Father. You, Father, who have qualified us to join in the inheritance of the saints in light. You did all the work. You did everything that was necessary. We simply received it as a gift by faith, believing on your Son, Jesus. And we joyously give you thanks. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.